welcome to the Mum Break Podcast, a place where you can feel normal, get helpful information, and laugh your ass off, hopefully without peeing your pants. I'm your host, Erica, and I have two kiddos. I am not a mom expert, but I do have a zillion hours of therapy under my belt and no filter. I'm on my own journey to find happiness, and I want to help you on the way to yours. I have always been a massive advocate for mental health for postpartum women, but I realized that I've never actually shared my journey in its entirety. I've shared bits and pieces, I've shared parts here, parts there, but I've never had the opportunity to share my experience from start to, and I'm going to say this boldly to the end, because I feel like I'm done with kids, I have come out of the fog of my experience with postpartum depression and anxiety. So I thought now, especially with the podcast, it's the perfect time to share because when sometimes you share with words, things can be misinterpreted or not understood correctly without the tone behind that. So I want to share with you guys my experience with postpartum depression. If only I could say this properly for such a serious topic postpartum depression and anxiety because I know that I'm not the only one who felt stuck or felt like they weren't normal or that I was the only one going through that and in reality I think it's actually completely normal to feel some level of change once you have kids. It could be that you just feel increasingly irritated or it could be that you are having suicidal thoughts. And there's a huge spectrum and for the most part, the majority of us feel somewhere along that spectrum. So I want to share with you my journey. It may look something like your journey. It may not look nothing like your journey. But the goal for me of sharing this is to help normalize some of these more difficult thoughts and feelings because I know that I am a great mother and I know and I'm confident that I am a good person who tries their best and I'm never going to be perfect and that's okay. But I... I'm doing the best that I can for my family, given the set of situations or given the set of circumstances that I have. And ultimately, it took me a while to figure that out, but I am at that point now, so I'm feeling comfortable sharing. So I'm going to take it back about four years when I had my first daughter. So I went from being somebody who was fiercely independent, insanely goal-driven, and who really, truly loved their career. I was never really the type of person who had that motherly intuition or I never strived to be a mom and to have kids. I knew that it would likely be somewhere along my journey, but it wasn't, I would, let me put it this way. As a girl growing up, I was never the kid that saw babies and wanted to hold them and play with them. I was the kid that ignored them and went and did my own thing. That's probably the best example of how to describe that. So when I, we got to the point where we were ready to start our family. We had decided as a couple that this is what we wanted to do. And of course, like most parents starting off on that journey, you actually have no idea what, (laughs) what you're signing up for. You kind of have an idea, but 
you don't realize till after the fact. So I went from being the, I went from being the person who happily worked 12 hours a day because I loved my job and my goal was to become a director of marketing for a big software company and to make like two, $300,000 a year. That was what, that was the path that I was on. <clears throat> and then I had my daughter. I really, truly, for the first two weeks, thought parenting was the easiest thing in the world. I look back on that time now and realize I was in a state probably of almost, shock is maybe a little bit strong, but I was in the state where I had just had this really crazy birth. I had all of these adrenalines. I had this cute, new, adorable, teeny tiny five something pound baby because she was anyways early. But I remember telling, I think it was my mom or somebody when she was like a week, a week and a half old. And that point we obviously hadn't slept. I was like, this isn't that hard. I'm not that tired. Like (laughs) that lasted for a few more days. Because then what really got to me was I started struggling with a few different things. I started, I really, really struggled with breastfeeding. And this is not a breastfeeding podcast. But something that I've never shared before, and I'll probably do a whole podcast on it at some point, was that when I was 22, I had a breast reduction. And at 22, I was in university as, you know, having the time of my life. I was told that there was a chance I wouldn't be able to breastfeed if I'd had a reduction. And obviously at that point, I didn't give two flying flips because again, I was not the kind of person who was like, yay, children one day. So I really struggled with breastfeeding. My entire pregnancy, I was not exposed to the whole online debate of breast is best, formula is best, what, like, fed is best, like, all that stuff. I had no concept of what was going to impact me. And I honestly, I was like, well, I'll just feed the baby formula. Not a big deal. I probably won't be able to breastfeed anyways. And I didn't give it much thought. I really, truly didn't factor it in at all until I had the baby and immediately the nurse, like, put her on my boob. I was like, what is happening? I wasn't prepared for this. So throughout my stay at the hospital, I constantly got nurses saying things like, no, don't do formula. And then I had another nurse who would bring me formula. And I had nurses saying, you only need to breastfeed. You only need to... I had all of these really mixed messages about breastfeeding. And then I went to see lactation consultants. I bought fancy or rented fancy pumps. I got all of the things... I got onto the regiment of, um, like, feed, pump, formula, whatever, like, every three hours. I did that for a few weeks. I bought all, like, the pumping bras, all the different things. And when that crap, when I had that crash of, I'm not that tired, (laughs) around two weeks was when I had been trying and trying and trying to breastfeed. And I just, at that point, I remember sitting pumping with like this fancy formula grade gigantic Uber pump and getting in half an hour, five mils. And it was the most I'd gotten in a really long time. 
and be like, no, <clears throat> I'm done. This is ridiculous. I am up and killing myself and I'm not able to produce. I'm going crazy. So I said to myself, I'm going to give myself two more weeks. I'm going to keep trying. And that, I think that moment was the start of my first bout of postpartum depression because until I had my baby, I didn't realize how much I have to be really careful about what I say because I know that people are very um, (laughs) opinionated about this topic, but I'm speaking to my experience and my perception of the experience. I received so much conflicting advice, criticism, support for all like all things related to breastfeeding and I was exhausted and sleep deprived and if you've done it you know that it's really really hard and if you're trying to do it with a baby who you never intended to breastfeed and with a breast reduction it makes it even more difficult so that's when I started first getting sad and frustrated and angry and what ended up happening with my breastfeeding journey doesn't matter. That's It's kind of inconsequential. But I think that's, if I pinpoint to where it started, that's where it started for me. Because it really symbolized and kicked off the other struggle that I was having of, I was trying to understand and come to terms with my new life. If I'm completely honest with you, I really, truly mourned my old life. I went from being an independent person who loved their career and travel and working a ton and to literally sitting at home covered in spit with a crazy newborn who had colic. And I was like, what is this all that it is? Like I signed up for just feeding this baby all day and just changing shit all day. And now in hindsight, looking back, I can, I can see where those struggles came from because with my second kid I didn't have any of those emotions but I was so the transition to this is my new norm this is my new reality was probably one of the hardest things about my first bout of postpartum depression and went from the struggle with breastfeeding into the who am I now and that was really, really what moved things into the intrusive thoughts and the constantly second-guessing my decision. And it didn't help that throughout this entire process, I was extremely sleep-deprived. And my first baby was a colicky baby, so she just screamed and screamed and screamed. I remember... And I think I've told this story in another interview, so I feel like it's out there. I can tell it because for a long time, I was deeply, deeply ashamed that I even thought this. But I was up with my daughter for, I think I was timing it, maybe four or five hours in the middle of the night. She just didn't stop screaming. Like, if you have a colicky baby or have had one, you understand that no matter what you do, they legitimately will not stop crying. You can put them in a swing. You can take them for a car ride. You can put them in a carrier and do laps around the house. You can feed them. You can not feed them. You can burp them. You can sing the friggin' bloody marathon. Like, you can sing the friggin' national anthem. Like, you can do anything. But no matter what you do, colicky babies will not stop crying. So, I think it was on hour four or five. And 
I was just like, at that point, I was burning holes in my carpet, just lapping around her room in circles. And so I started lapping outside in the hall, um, outside. And I just thought, and even, I just thought in that moment, like, this would be so much easier. And this, this would just be all over if I just threw her over. And I... It's funny because I don't know what scared me more. I don't know if it scared me more that I had the thought or that it just popped out of nowhere. Like it was not, and I learned after lots of therapy that it's not, it's called an intrusive thought. It's one of those things that just pops into your head without your control. And it doesn't mean that I wanted to hurt my baby. It doesn't mean that this is the action I wanted to take. What it means is that I was sleep deprived and tired and frustrated. And there's only so much that the human, one human can take. And I just needed a break. And in that moment, I was like, okay, this is, this is scary. So I I walk the baby over to my husband and passed her to him. Like we were at that point taking turns. (laughs) Because I was so frustrated with this new life and because I was so adamant, I'm like, I am her mother. I need, I should be able to fix her and I should be able to make her stop crying that I just was like, no, husband, you are not helping because I should be able to do this. I'm going to keep going until I make this baby stop crying. And it was, it was hard. Those were like things like that. Those intrusive thoughts are what I really struggled with in the first bout of postpartum depression. And it wasn't just scary sort of harm type thoughts. And I'm sure there's a proper terminology for it, but it was other things. Like I remember I would I would sit in bed and think about walking the baby downstairs in my arms And think about, oh my God, what happens if I tripped and fell? And I would picture the baby falling out of my arms and down the stairs. And then I would just jolt myself almost like crying in tears. Or I would think things pop into my head like, what happens if I, the baby is on the floor beside my bed. And all of a sudden I step on the baby when I get out of bed to go pee. Like these are thoughts that they just popped into my head. And they don't really make a lot of sense because A... Why would that baby be on the floor? I, like, this is one that happened a lot to me, and I don't know why. Why would the baby be on the floor? And that would never happen. But those intrusive thoughts were the ones that really scared me because I, I felt guilty for thinking them, yet I couldn't control them popping into my head. So at this point, I I was tired. I was sad. I was getting angry with my husband and my baby. Like, to be tired and to not have a baby stop crying for hours in the middle of the night when you haven't slept is just... I didn't realize how hard it was until one of my friends came over and he said to me and my husband, you know that sleep deprivation is genuinely a form of torture, right? I'm like, oh... Yeah, I guess it is. So I guess I'm not that crazy for realizing, feeling like this is so hard. This is, well, I mean, it's hard that it's normal, but it is normal being this tired. This is what people were warning me about, what they talked about. And then from the postpartum depression standpoint, I also started to feel 
more lethargic and I didn't want to get out and do things and I didn't I didn't feel joy anymore and if I did get out and I do did things it was purely 120% fake joy I slapped on a happy face I smiled I said the right things so people wouldn't be worried and then I went home and cried hysterically in the corner while the baby would scream upstairs and I so (laughs) anyways I'm just it was such a dark point in my life and the hardest thing about the fact that it was so dark is that I didn't have at the point that point in time I felt like I didn't have any control over the darkness it just crept up onto me in so many different ways and I tried I tried so hard to crawl out of it by myself even to many times googling therapists and trying to find someone who could help but if you've ever been in that state of mind and you've tried to google a therapist before you know that it is one of the most overwhelming things in the entire world because you think okay there are one million postpartum depression therapists in Ottawa and what happens if I pick one and they're not a good fit and I don't like them. Well, then I have to start this whole process over again. And that's the most overwhelming. And what happens if I pick someone and I like someone and they don't have availability for three months? So it got to the point where I was starting to give up and that scared me. And my husband, because I was so good at hiding this, he knew that something was wrong, but he was also in the weeds as well. I mean, he's a new father He wasn't feeling things on a kind of physical level in the same way that I was, but I was sitting in my laundry room, like fetal, crying one day, and I sent him a text, and I just said, I need help. I can't do this anymore. I need you to find a therapist for me, and I need to do, I want nothing to do with it. Just find me someone, get me my appointment, get me childcare, and I'll go, because I cannot, I'm at the point now where I cannot make these decisions by myself. And it really sucked. (laughs) But because my husband's an amazing human being, he found me a therapist, he got me an appointment. I don't remember much about this therapy time in my life because, like I said, I was first child, sleep-deprived. It was four years ago, and I was in pure survival mode. But what she did teach me was she helped me reframe some of my thoughts and once the baby started sleeping and once I had been going to therapy for a few months I think at around eight months I stopped I I air quotes graduated from therapy and I started around four months so I was in there for four months weekly and it was really hard but it was a phase in my life I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about the Fresh 20. This is a meal planning system that I've been using with my family that has made things so much easier. Every Friday, I get a dinner meal plan in my account that tells me the five dinners that I'm going to be having that week, and it gives me my grocery list, how much the groceries will cost, what ingredients I can prep ahead of time, and then step-by-step instructions for the meals for each day. The thing I love about it so much is that every Sunday, I open my meals, take a look at my grocery list, and it literally takes me three minutes to order them on Instacart, and I schedule my grocery delivery for when nap time starts. When the groceries get here, I spend 20 to 30 minutes prepping the ingredients for the week, 
put them in glass containers in the fridge, and then when Monday rolls around, I basically just assemble the ingredients for the meals and cook the protein. I chose the paleo menu options, but you can choose between classic, vegetarian, gluten-free, dairy-free, or vegan. And you get meals for the week you don't need to think about that are easy, delicious, and quick to make. This is one of those hacks that saved me so much time in my week and is still feeding my family super healthy and delicious meals. So if you want to take a look at their options, you can head to mumbreak.ca slash thefresh20 to learn more because this is one of those hacks that will make life so much easier. And this leaves me at my second child. Now, again, because I remember only bits and pieces of my first bout with postpartum depression, I remember the feelings and some of the things that happened. I was really, really scared to have a second baby because of how hard it hit me and because of how hard it impacted her family. And because I knew that this is something that it just happens. I don't choose, I'm not choosing to be sad. I'm not choosing to struggle. It's this biochemical response in my body that's eliciting these emotions. And I was really nervous to the point of almost not wanting to have a second child based on how hard it was. But anyways, we, our kid grew up, you know, we missed the baby stage. Poop. Well, out pops the second child. I, but before I actually had my son, Austin, I decided that before giving birth, I would go back to therapy. So I only went to one or two appointments. I can't remember how many it was at this point, but while I was pregnant before delivering him, I went to therapy not only to just sort of touch base and to say, hey, by the way, I'll probably be back here in a few months when things get hard again. Save me a spot on your roster. But also to refresh some of the tips or tricks that I had learned along the way. I wanted to have a toolkit of ways to cope and deal with some of these emotions that I was expecting to come. Now, when I had my second son, it was, he was like a NICU baby. It was a very scary delivery. All these things happened, but he's healthy and safe now. And I missed that initial two week window of surge of energy because most of that time was spent going back and forth to the hospital and spending time in the NICU. So I felt like that early experience was very different. And it was, there was so many other different factors as well, because I now knew generally what, genuinely what to expect. I understood that for the most part, everything was a phase and that that really hard, you know, first few months of a baby's life, while they're beautiful and cuddly and smushy and they smell like heaven, that the difficult part about that is a finite period of time. So I had perspective that it didn't last forever and that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. But what I wasn't expecting was that while I didn't experience depression in the same way, I experienced a whole new level of anxiety that was completely new to me. And I've always been a very busy person, the kind of person who just takes on so much that they get overwhelmed and then they have like, I kind of air quote the mini mental breakdowns every month because I've bit off more than I could chew, which I've, I've managed that now, but that's sort of been the, 
routine and cadence of my life historically. So I was familiar with overwhelm, but never with anxiety. And I know that coupled with sleep deprivation and how this manifested, it didn't help the problem, but it came out in a very different way. I had this obsession with keeping things clean and organized. I wouldn't stop. I was almost, I was very, very hyperactive in that I would have periods of almost, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, the word mania is not correct, but I mean, I have videos of me like cleaning things that didn't need to be cleaned with a baby strapped to my chest and then while the toddler was na- well, break, not napping, she didn't nap, that's a whole other thing. But while I ha- had a moment when I should have been resting, I ha- I'm like cleaning a kitchen cupboard because I got it in my mind at that moment in time that if I didn't clean that cupboard, it would just crush me. It would weigh heavy on me all the time. And then once I finished that one, I could physically feel all the rooms in the house just crushing down on me. Like I'm in, I'm, I'm recording this in my office right now and I'm looking over at the closet to my right and it's like a typical messy closet. I have all the stuff in a general location of where it should be, but like things are out of place. It's not super clean. It's like an office closet. We'll put it that way. But when I was in this period of anxiety, that would have caused me like elevated heart rate. I would have started stressing, uh, sweating, sorry. I would have been acutely aware that all of those things are out of place by like millimeters. And I wouldn't be able to do anything else until that random office closet, which is inconsequential to anything else in the house, would be cleaned. And all of the stuff and all of those things and all of the list and the, the uh, what do they call it these days? The mental load, the mental load of all of the things added on to that anxiety for what manifested in really household organization started to combine together. And I got my first panic attack at Bayshore. I was there. Thank God it was a daycare day. So my toddler at the time was in part-time daycare. And we kept that up primarily because of my mental health. We were going to try to pull her full time. And I realized that once this anxiety started manifesting, I wouldn't be capable of doing both. And I mean, I I probably would have, but it would have been a very different experience. So I could have got through, but it would not have been in a healthy way. So I remember... If you're, if you're from Ottawa and you've been to Bayshore, I'll describe this specific location, but if you're not and you're listening to somewhere completely not in the city, you have no idea what I'm talking about. <coughs> Upstairs, there's a Starbucks on the third floor, and there's an elevator directly to the right of that, and overlooking the elevator and the Starbucks, it's a big open space with a railing leading down to the three stories at the bottom. So it's... It's essentially, it's a three-story shopping unit building, whatever, shopping center. And in the middle, there's pockets of open space to, like, look down. I'm sure many malls are like this. So I was standing waiting for the elevator, and I was already feeling really anxious. So I had started lapping. And all of a sudden, my heart just... And even funny, now even talking about it, like, my whole body is just reacting to it physically. But I... It was like 
so, it was beating so quickly, I could almost hear it. Like, it was just like, So I stood there, and I put my two fingers on my throat to take my pulse, and I'm like, what the is happening? And then I started, my vision started going blurry. So I looked around, and all I could see was, like, cloudy spots. So at that point, I'm standing waiting for the elevator with my newborn. Well, I don't know. He's maybe three months at the time. And I'm standing near this um, ledge, if you will. Like, it's, it's glass and there's a railing, so you can't go past it. But I'm standing close enough to it that I remember very consciously taking, like, two or three big steps back. Because I was so nervous with what was, what was happening that I was concerned that... I was concerned with what I would do. I, at that point, I didn't feel depressed. I had no feelings of harm or anything like that. But I was so freaked out by what was happening. I just took a few steps back. And then I couldn't, like, I couldn't see. (laughs) My heart was racing. I started sweating. And then my whole body just started shaking. And I was so scared in that moment. I'm like, this... I can't believe it's gotten to the point where my anxiety is so bad that this is just happening for... And at that point, nothing really... There was nothing big that had triggered that. There was no specific trigger. I was just walking around the mall. And I don't remember... At that point, I don't really remember much after. I don't remember how I pulled myself out of it. I think I just went and... Like, I don't remember what my body did. At that point, I was sort of on autopilot. But that was terrifying. And that was just sort of where the panic attack started. I didn't have many more after that. But that with the anxiety component of it, it was a new emotion that I had never experienced before. That while being solely responsible for my child, and I think I even was wearing him at the moment. I can't remember if I was wearing him in a carrier or if he was in the stroller. I think I was wearing him and I was pushing the stroller. But I was so scared for him because I felt like I had zero control over my body and I am a control freak so having no control scared the freaking bananas out of me so the panic attack started and then the rage was really what the biggest problem was it was me being extremely mad and angry with my toddler and my husband and I had really difficult time controlling some of these thoughts and emotions. I couldn't relax. Like I said, I was very sort of hyperactive in that I couldn't stop. I did not stop. I, I'm, I've always been, again, I've always been a busy person. I've always been the kind of person who likes to do too much, but I never napped. I never braked. I sat on the, if I sat on the couch, I sat on the couch and worked. I just was over the top for everything. And then the mom guilt was real this time. I didn't really have a lot of mom guilt with Aubrey, but with Austin, it was crippling. I remember I felt as though I had to, it was my responsibility to be with my children 24 hours a day. If I missed an hour with them, no matter how much I did in those other 23 hours, I was a bad mom and I felt guilty because I only spent 23 hours a day with them. I wouldn't exercise, which is something that historically really boosts my mood and makes me feel better. It's my version of self-care exercise. I wouldn't exercise them. I wouldn't exercise. 
I wouldn't leave them with anybody without extreme guilt other than my husband. I wouldn't ask for breaks because I felt like it was my responsibility to be with them at all times. <clears throat> and I also felt like this imbalance of rules and responsibilities between men and women when I had my second child, this became so prevalent in my brain that it was something I thought about all the time, which then led me to being super angry and bitter with my husband because I would think it's not fair that I have to do all of these things and I do so much more than you. And with all, meanwhile, I'm just doing all these things randomly because I'm anxious and I don't need to actually be cleaning the pantry for the 18th time. But that imbalance is something that really, along with kind of, I, I, it eked into a little bit of mini depression there as well. And it's something that people don't really factor into being postpartum depression or anxiety because what it did was ultimately, it's a huge change. And ultimately that big life change led to a form of depri- depression and anxiety. So I, I mean, we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about my panic attacks, the anger and the rage and the fact that I wasn't able to relax, the mom guilt, this mini depression around anxiety, around the imbalance of motherhood. But one of the things that came back that was similar to the first time was those intrusive thoughts. And at least I sort of knew how to deal with them. But God, those intrusive thoughts are a bitch because... Those are the thoughts that just sort of eke into everything and they take have a way of taking over because when a thought that you would normally perceive as so incredibly horrible that you would never think that or never do that or, you know, really anything that pops into your head that scares you <sighs> lingers around in there that can be really hurtful, or at least in my case, it was very damaging. So I remember one time when Aubrey, my my age gap between my two kids is two and a half years. So I have a incredibly spunky toddler who we've had a lot of um, behavioral challenges with. So when the baby was born, she was at a difficult stage of toddlerhood. So she had a particularly bad day, just screaming all the freaking time and just being really difficult and, you know, had some issues with hitting and biting and all that fun stuff. And Austin was, for whatever reason, screaming bloody murder nonstop. And he was not, I think he was more representative of like a normal baby in terms of crying, and I'm just doing air quotes because I know no baby is normal, but he wasn't a colicky baby like my daughter, so by comparison, he seemed like he was a mute baby who never screamed. But he, so when he did cry, and when it was coupled with my daughter losing her ever-loving mind all day and being physically abused by a toddler all day, when it comes to dealing with that all day, I had a really difficult bedtime routine, and for whatever reason, The bedtime routine went really badly and I was already at my breaking point and he, I remember sitting at the change table and he was just screaming nonstop 
And a thought popped into my brain. And I, it came out of nowhere. And I never had experienced it before. But it just, all I thought to myself was, well, maybe at this point I'm struggling so much. I need to just check myself into the hospital because I can't deal with this anymore. And then it was immediately followed by, well, at least it'd be a nice break. <laughs> like it was, it was so scary to the point where I had been having such a difficult time and everything else had been so hard that I genuinely just, and I don't remember where my husband was. I think at that point he was working really crazy hours. I just remember thinking, I'm going to get these kids to bed and I'm just going to tell my husband that I'm taking off for a few days and just, just check me into the hospital. And in Ottawa, we have um, the ROH, is like the Royal Ottawa Hospital, which is for, um, I don't know how to say this politically correctly, but for like mental health stuff. And I'm like, just going to go to the ROH for a week. <laughs> I, I need the break. And... At that point, I was like, oh my God, I, I need to, I need to get back into therapy because this is too hard. This is so hard. And I found a really great therapist. My old one was not accepting new patients, but she, in the, in the time that I took me to make another baby, had created this really cool new clinic and hired a bunch of really great therapists. And the one that I started working with, we really worked, and I remember a lot more about that period, mostly because while I was going through the process of therapy, I was also blogging. So I was sharing a lot of tips on the blog. But we worked together a lot on managing that rage and that frustration and dealing with a lot of those intrusive thoughts. And Tackling some of those more difficult thoughts about the mom guilt and the fact that I couldn't relax and that all the things needed to be clean. So we, I did a couple things. If I got really ragey and I started to feel panic attacky or overwhelmed, I would take an ice pack and put it over my eyes and just sit there with it on my eyes and hold my breath because she was telling me that by doing that, it triggers some response in your body to calm yourself down. And that seemed to really help. There was a couple others, but that's the one that made the biggest impact for me in terms of tackling some of my thoughts. I used a tool, an app. We walked through an app called Mood Tools. And essentially what Mood Tools is, is it challenges your different thoughts. So if I were to say or think, I can't go to the gym because I have to spend all, I, I'm a bad mom if I don't spend time with my children. If I take a break from the kids to go to the gym and focus on me, I'm a bad mom. So what Mood Tools does is it helps you walk through why that fact or that thought is in fact maybe not accurate or maybe not correct. And then it reframes the way you think so that I could then think, well, it, it depends on what you value and what's important to you. But I would come out with a thought like, you know what? By going to the gym, I feel better. And the kids can go to the gym with a play area where there 
are programs that will help them develop mentally so it's actually a good thing for them. And again, that process looks very different for everybody, but that was just how it it looked for me. It helped me walk through things so that I could start to make decisions in a more balanced way. So that's the big overall picture of what my experience would be has been like. I think having the two kids relatively close together, having gone through depression with the first and anxiety with the second, and the fact that they manifested in completely different ways, and the level and severity, maybe not the right word, but the level of, we'll say severity for now, but the level of severity varied and changed and fluctuated throughout each. I think that is representative of what most people go through. So One of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode was that if you are in that moment of experiencing some of these thoughts, feelings, emotions, I, again, I am not a therapist in any way, shape, or form, but if you need anything, just know that for the most part, what you're experiencing is relatively normal, but that I'm happy to make, and I'm very happy to recommend there's two therapists that I think are great. So Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, again, I haven't worked with her myself because it's a conflict of interest and I can't recommend my own therapist. She's amazing and I've recommended her to many friends and they all absolutely love her. So that's a great option for Ottawa. If you're looking for something virtual or online or you can't get out and about, um, Mind Online Therapy is an old friend of mine uh, who we met on Instagram together. And we have very similar styles and philosophies. So if you're sort of aligned with my beliefs and viewpoints, then you'll jive well with her. But she does online therapy as well. So if you're at the point where you know that you need something, but you don't have the childcare, you don't have whatnot, I'd recommend just giving her a shout as well. And I'll link both of these up for you below too. But every experience and every journey is so different. And if you need help, just please, that is my biggest takeaway from this. If you need help, please ask. Please tell somebody, put your hands up, say, I'm struggling, I need you to help me with this because that is one of the hardest steps and it's scary and it's difficult and it seems impossible. But please put your hand up and ask for help. And if you're at the stage where you feel like me, you've you've sort of graduated from these feelings and these difficult emotions still keep in mind the moms around you who may not be at that stage in their life because everybody struggles with something. Nobody has a perfect life. And there may be someone like me in the first, you know, experience with postpartum depression where I was struggling, but I didn't let anybody in and I didn't let anybody know. And keep an eye on the women in your lives to check in with them and to see how they're doing because those small check-ins are what count. Okay, guys, you can find me online at mom.break. Have a great day.